Hey Jody, did you know that in the human body, there are many different organs and body parts that we can actually live without? Um, no, I didn't really know that. I mean, I guess I haven't really thought about it. Yes, I know. It's kind of crazy, but our bodies are actually really adaptable and we don't necessarily need every single organ to function and exist. Okay, please tell me more. The best way for me to talk about this is just to start by naming some. For instance, we don't need our appendix, which doesn't really do a whole lot in our body. Okay, yeah, I knew that one. People get their appendix removed all the time. Okay, what about a chunk of your liver, or half of your lung, or your entire spleen? Oh, and your gallbladder too. Wow, that's a lot to think about having it removed. I don't imagine that people are randomly getting these ectomy procedures, right? Yes, that's right. For the most part, having these organs in full is preferred over getting them removed. But in some cases, in order to prolong life or prevent suffering or better health, doctors will remove some of these organs. That's fascinating to think about the power and versatility of the human body. I completely agree. But before we jump in, I did forget to mention one very special gland that we too can function without. What gland would that be? The prostate gland, which is part of the reproductive system in males. So males can live without their prostate gland? Well, I'm actually not sure what we're talking about. Yes, there's a lot to this. But yes, the prostate gland is one of the accessory sex organs in the male body, and men can live without this organ. I'm Hana, and I'm Jody. and on this episode of The Daily Dose, we will cover the prostate and how it is affected by endocrine disruptors. To help us understand this complicated topic, and an organ you probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about, we will be hearing from Dr. Gail Prince. Dr. Prince is a researcher, professor, and scientist at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She works in the field of andrology, where she's an expert on the male reproductive system and now is studying how endocrine-disrupting chemicals affect males. Like we talked about earlier, the prostate gland is an accessory sex gland. I have to stop you there. What does that mean, an accessory gland? I mean, when I think of accessories, I think of a fun handbag or sunglasses. (laughs) Think about accessory glands as helper organs. They don't produce sperm. That's done by the testes. But nonetheless, these helper organs play an important role in supporting reproduction. In the case of the prostate gland, this organ is about the size of a walnut and sits at the base of the bladder. Like I said before, it is only found in males. Now let's talk about its function. All right, so the prostate gland is a male reproductive tract organ. It's considered an accessory sex gland in the male reproductive tract. And its purpose is to produce a component of seminal plasma that transports spermatozoa into the female um, for proper deposition. The prostate gland has a lot of enzymes in it and they, Um, uh, they lyse the uh, seminal coagulum and allow spermatozoa to slowly swim out into the cervical os for fertilization of the oocyte. So it's kind of like the transportation system for sperm during fertilization. Yes, that's a great way to think about it. The prostate creates this fluid that supports the sperm and during fertilization 
the muscles in the prostate make sure that the sperm make it safely to the vagina. That's fascinating. So what about this as an accessory gland? So you can remove the prostate gland and still have fertilization. Um, it will be a little bit more difficult because sperm will tend to uh, reside within the coagulum and not naturally um, uh, be able to swim up the female genital tract. But um, you can still you know, produce spermatozoa. That's not the problem. And then those sperm can now be utilized with the new reproductive technologies that we have, both low-tech and high-tech, um, to achieve pregnancies. So now that we have an understanding of the responsibilities of the prostate, let's get into what kinds of hormones are involved in its health and how endocrine disrupting chemicals affect these hormones. The prostate gland is part of the endocrine system. There are hormones, particularly sex hormones, that are responsible for the development of the male sex organs. Specifically, in the prostate gland, there are two main sex hormones that are important to the function of males. Together, these hormones are referred to as androgens. Okay, and exactly what are these hormones? You probably have heard of testosterone, which is responsible for many things, but for one is responsible for strengthening bones and muscles, transition into puberty, and the development of the penis and sperm production. The other hormone, dihydrotestosterone, DHT, is responsible for regulating male sex characteristics. This includes facial hair, a deeper vocal range, and muscle strength. Both testosterone and DHT are androgens. So these hormones are present in the prostate gland. So where do the endocrine disrupting chemicals come in? Hold on, hold on, we'll get there. But first, we need to introduce one more sex hormone. Which one? Estrogen. What? I thought estrogen was a woman's hormone. No, that's a common misconception. Although estrogen levels are higher in women, estrogens are also found in men. What's the role of estrogen in males then? Basically, in addition to testosterone, estrogen works to help produce sperm and contribute to the male reproductive system. They work together in a very particular and sensitive manner. And the reason we're talking about this is because when males are exposed to endocrine disrupting chemicals, they can mess with the balance of estrogen and testosterone levels. Many EDCs act as androgen antagonists, which means that they are blocking androgen hormones from doing what they need to do naturally. Hold on, I think I need to hear more about this. So can we hear what the expert has to say? Most of the endocrine disrupting chemicals, not all, but most of the ones that they've identified and looked at, is their interference with androgens? They usually block androgen activity. And so they're considered anti-androgens. Um, and there aren't very many um, EDCs that activate androgen activity. They more tend to block it and in so doing drive the estrogen compartment. And so you can get more feminization that way because um, it's in the body, it's always a balance between estrogens and testosterone that drive a lot of things in the brain, 
in multiple organs and also in the reproductive tract. And so you need this clean balance of estrogen activity and androgen activity. And that can be disrupted by endocrine disrupting chemicals that have anti-androgen activity because they will block the androgens from functioning normally. Um, and allow the estrogens um, to continue. Some compounds are both anti-androgenic and pro-estrogenic at the same time. And everything in the body is the right amount at the right time and in the right place. And so if you disturb that, abnormalities start to arise. Okay, so we're hearing two important factors, balance and abnormality. And so you have to think of the endocrine system as this body-wide system that helps our body remain balanced. Uh, we use a scientific term, homeostasis. It gives us evenness. And so the endocrine system helps drive that on a number of different levels. So... Um, uh, the adrenal gland produces the cortisols and help with the fight or flight reaction and stresses. Um, there are uh, protein hormones that affect any number of different functions in our body, like prolactin, um, which is involved in lactation. It has a lot of activity in the breast. It has a lot of activity in the male reproductive tract. Um, there are hormones that, that control processes in the brain. So when you talk about endocrine disrupting chemicals, there are chemicals that interfere with that normal activity, that body-wide activity. So what are some of the abnormalities that can arise if there's a lack of balance? That's a great question. The brain releases chemicals that release hormones, and those hormones go to the testes, and, tell the, and the testes is where the androgens are made, where testosterone is synthesized. And um, that gets released into the bloodstream, and it controls muscle development, it controls um, uh, it goes back and programs the brain in a masculinized way. It controls male behavior, um, aggressiveness. Um, I always talk about testosterone poisoning and um, that type of thing. And certainly the male reproductive tract. And so to have normal spermatogenesis, the production of sperm, you need a normal level of androgens there. And, um, it, and it uh, controls uh, the growth and the homeostasis of the accessory sex glands, the prostate being one of them. Um, it can control um, aspects of um, male function like erection and, um, and uh, being able to reproduce. From what I gather, it sounds like hormones work at very specific levels and are susceptible to even tiny changes from chemicals in the environment. Yes, you would be correct. And what scientists are understanding is that these changes can contribute to issues such as decrease in sperm count. In particular, exposure to young children is a cause for concern as young males are more sensitive during development. 
so everything is about timing in life. And so if at certain times of development, as you're establishing your normal function, if things get out of whack and don't develop normally, then they're going to be out of whack for the rest of your life because development is a one-way street. You can't go back and redo it. And so the early life period is particularly critical. Um, Children are more susceptible to the endocrine disrupting chemicals because they don't get those chemicals out of their body as fast as adults can. Um, They're more sensitive to the levels there um, because their body is still developing. And so if things develop abnormally, then you're going to have lifelong problems in any number of functions. But if you're exposed to those endocrine uh, disrupting chemicals as adults, they can um, interfere with a lot of activity as well because you need this balance throughout life but then they might be reversible. If they're with children though, they might not be reversible. Coming up, let's discuss more about abnormalities that are seen within the prostate gland itself. One of the most common disorders that is associated with the prostate gland is something called prostatitis. What this is basically is swelling or inflammation of the prostate. Ooh, that sounds painful. I know. There are many different reasons why this occurs, and in no regards are we saying that EDCs are the leading cause of prostatitis. But let's hear about how EDCs could be a contributing factor. There's about five different known suspected causes of prostatitis, and one of them is a hormonal imbalance. Um, That's just one of them. It's not the only one, but one of them is a chronic hormonal imbalance can drive prostatitis and um, with higher levels of estrogen. So that's established in men and that's known. And so it just stands to reason that if you have endocrine disrupting chemicals um, that drive that situation, then those would as well. And uh, animal models have shown, and it's not just estrogen and testosterone, uh, prolactin released from the pituitary gland, um, uh, higher levels of prolactin uh, will drive chronic prostatitis as well. And there are um, herbicides, atrazine, that drive chronic, uh, uh, chronically higher levels of prolactin. They keep stimulating that. Um, So that can definitely be a cause. That is an endocrine disrupting chemical. And, um, um, but that's not estrogen, androgen, but it's another hormone. It's another EDC. And um, that's been linked to chronic prostatitis. So we can see and begin to understand how EDCs can affect the way our hormones work. And in turn, how exposure to these chemicals can contribute to some of the health risks that we see in men. What about diseases like prostate cancer? Is there an association between EDCs and cancer in males? Well, let's remember, it's difficult to come up with hard science that would prove EDCs cause cancer since scientists can't run controlled experiments on humans to test most of these chemicals. So instead, they look at patterns in humans that are exposed through their everyday lives to determine if there are associations between exposures and diseases. 
For instance, let's look at occupational chemical exposure and disease outcomes. I'll give you an example. Firefighters are exposed to very high levels of PFAS and they have higher rates of prostate cancer as well. Um, they're exposed to a number of other chemicals as well, but um, that would be one thing. Men who work in factories where they produce PFAS, uh, men who work in chemical companies where they produce BPA, um, men who work in the fields um, and spray a lot of um, uh, uh, herbicides and pesticides that have endocrine disrupting uh, chemicals in it. Farmers have higher rates of prostate cancer. So there are a lot of different groups of men that they've studied and they're seeing a lot of consistent effects um, in, in these different groups indicating that these chemicals are contributing. I'm noticing that we keep talking about contributing factors. Yes, that is because it is widely believed that cancers aren't caused by just one factor. And scientists are especially cautious when it comes to EDCs and cancer research. We don't want to send a message or suggest that EDCs are solely responsible for cancer or prostatitis. Okay, so where do we go from here? Well, one of the issues surrounding male reproduction is that many people, and specifically many men, are hesitant to talk about their body, even in a private manner with their healthcare provider. Maybe there's some embarrassment surrounding health of the reproductive organs, but mostly I think society has trained men that it's just something you don't talk about. Well, women talk much more freely anyway, but women will readily talk about their reproductive organs without um, any um, embarrassment and um, societal um, eyebrows being raised. But when men do, they feel uncomfortable. And because of that, they don't like to say they have prostate disease because that brings in the male reproductive process. So men tend to not talk about their prostate gland, which is unfortunate um, for them in the long term because they, they felt more comfortable about talking. And we might be able to treat some of the diseases that occur earlier. We can agree that normalizing the conversation about male reproduction is a step in the right direction for addressing health outcomes. But what about EDCs? You know, as we wrap up, we should all think about how we can start to incorporate EDCs into the conversation surrounding health. As we normalize discussing male reproductive health, we shouldn't forget to include in those conversations information about the role that EDCs can play. Yeah, we should really be discussing that more. We need to fight stigma around reproductive health. Yes, we need to. And we can tackle EDC discussions at the same time. We would like to send our thanks to Dr. Prince from the University of Illinois at Chicago for her special contributions to this episode. A Daily Dose is a production of the SCOPE Summer Research Program at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. SCOPE is funded by a grant from the National Institutes of Health, National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. These episodes were written and produced by Jillian Hughes, Myra Lima, 
Hennessy's Medina, Elise Pierce, Hannah Power, and Jody Zismore.